Hello and welcome to the third series of the Igniting Change podcast. It's a different and more challenging world in which we find ourselves this time around, so we wanted to reflect the challenges of just surviving in the COVID-19 era and what the Black Lives Matter movement has meant to some of our First Nations people. Igniting Change hasn't stopped working to make this period easier for those doing it tough, nor will it. Yes, we're all in this together, but for some, making it to the other side is just the start of the battle. Our guest today is Sarah Jessup. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Celia. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? I am currently a teacher at Lauriston Girls' School and I'm in charge of community service from kindergarten to year 12. Each year level is asked to select a charity that they're interested in and from there they are asked to be hands-on with that charity in some way. They're asked to raise awareness and to perhaps do some form of a collection, whether it's money or blankets or tins or clothing. What kind of impact does that have on the girls? Well, it's opening their eyes to real life issues. So we had somebody from Project Respect come out and speak with the girls. And Project Respect supports women who have been trafficked to Melbourne for sex work. Mm. So that was very confronting. And just to be able to speak with the girls and open their eyes and let them know that this is actually going on in their city, that there are 50-something legal brothels, but so many illegal brothels, and that the women who arrive are, are moved from brothel to brothel to brothel every week and don't have any of their paperwork with them, so they can't set up any connections. So it's interesting stories for the girls to hear and to open their eyes. Another initiative that came through and meet the people feel the issues was with Tri Kindergarten at the base of the South Yarra Housing Commission flats. There would have been 15 of us and one of the girls was speaking to Sue who was in charge of Tri Kinder and said what is the one thing that would make a big change to these women? Often they're African women, a lot of them are Muslim A lot of them are single mothers with up to five children. And Sue's response was, they really, really want to learn to swim. But we can't find a pool around here that will allow just women to swim in the pool because they'd have to close it off to all men, being a cultural problem. And so from that meeting at Tri-Kindergarten, we have started up swimming lessons for the African women every Sunday. So, And we have quite a few of our old girls who are teaching That's been brilliant, but obviously that's stopped during COVID. It's a big thing for a school to put their faith in someone like you, as you say, to take the girls places they never would have seen or even heard about. You really need to start very early, I I feel, with children, with the sense of working with people, understanding other people, understanding different situations, to broaden their mind, to raise the awareness. I think it's really, really important to start young. What made you so interested and so determined to to bring that kind of education to the girls at the school? I've always been a phys ed teacher and this job came up at Lauriston and I thought, well, you know, I'm past my mid-50s and it's I don't really want to be an old phys ed teacher. So I applied for the job and I got the job, which was great. And I, I had the opportunity. I thought I wanted more than just $5 for a casual clothes day. I wanted to open the girls' eyes and teach them more about life outside the gates of Hunting Tower Road. I wanted them to know what was going on in their community and their wider community in Australia and overseas. I feel that this is such a global generation. They really need 
to have their eyes open and know what's going on. So by the time the first lockdown came along, what spurred you to organise the food drive? When COVID first started, one of the parents rang me and said that she's going to do a collection with her friends of essential items and and food. And could I suggest an organisation that they could deliver to? So I rang Jane and Jade at Igniting Change. They came back to me with a list of organisations Ness could send the bags to. But having heard what Ness was doing, I thought this is actually a a, a really great chance to get the whole of the Lauriston community on board. So put it out to the wider community and we had our first collection on the first day that Lauriston actually shut down on, I think it was Tuesday the 17th of March. And we had such a brilliant response. I think um, people want to help. People were really keen to help. So from there we decided perhaps that we should be doing this more often. So yeah, we've just gone on from there. So how many collections have you done so far? Uh, We've just had our ninth collection. We would be delivering over 400 bags a collection. And where do those bags go? Can you give me some idea of the organisations? They go all over Melbourne. They go to South Morang, Epping, West Melbourne, Oakley, Collingwood Housing Commission Flats. And they go to organisations like Hester Hornbrook, which is part of Melbourne City Mission. It's a fantastic organisation. It's skilling up people in their early 20s and they'll often have a baby with them and they provide courses to give them skills to get back out into the workforce. That's in Paran. We deliver to Port Phillip prison families. We send our bags to uh, Mirabel Foundation. A lot of the families, they're often in kinship care with a grandparent and it's due to parental drug use or the kids have been abandoned due to drug use. And a lot of these kids have got trauma and anxiety and at the moment they're fearful that they're going to starve. So when they see somebody actually arriving with bags of food, that helps alleviate that problem. Theodore House in in Seaford is run by Gina and Gina has been running this organisation for over 50 years and she self-funds the whole thing. She's making up to 11,000 meals per fortnight at the moment because a lot of the organisations around Seaford have closed down. We sent out to Rosa. Rosa is a beautiful woman in Northcote, Syrian, and she has 45 families that she has connected over the years through weaving. And during COVID, obviously, they can't get together and weave, but she keeps the connection up by her nephew takes her out and she hand delivers the bags out to to the 45 families that she supports. Gatehouse is another organisation that's in St Kilda and that's a hub for street sex workers. And a lot of the street sex workers were taken off the street at the beginning of COVID and placed into hotels and motels outside of Melbourne. They're only provided with like a, um, a microwave and a kettle. So there's no cooking facilities and there's no food. So some of the volunteers at Gatehouse will take it out to the women. One of the women came into Gatehouse and, and she said, look, I'm not going to die of being homeless. I'm not going to die of my addiction. The only thing that's going to kill me is this loneliness. But people just can't believe the kindness, not only the bags of food that are being delivered to them, but they just can't believe that people are thinking about them and, and the connection and the kindness. Were you shocked or surprised by the extent of the need across our state? I was absolutely flabbergasted. I just could not believe that there are people who bags are being delivered to and they are so grateful and they said, my neighbour hasn't eaten since yesterday. There are so many, like Anne from Concern Australia supports 180 youths from 0 to 25. 
a lot of them are on the street and her, her aim is to get as many of them, which is generally 90% of them, off the street, but they're vulnerable and they're trying to live off Centrelink, perhaps pay their bills and pay their rent. And at the end of that, there's really not a lot of money left for food. What do you think we can, as a society, do to alleviate this kind of suffering so that COVID food drives or any sort of food drives will no longer be necessary? I just tend to think that we're very overpopulated at the moment. We obviously have a great need for housing. In Anne Mitchell's words, we've got 30,000 extra housing units that are required at this point in time. I think a lot of money needs to go into, into housing. And do you think that the example that you're setting and that you're encouraging the people that you're working with will have a flow-on effect throughout the community that you've taught? I'd really like to think so. We need to connect. I think there's a great lack of connection in our community at the moment. And I I just tend to think that connection is incredibly important. Connection and kindness are our most important assets. How much of what you do have you learnt from observing the work of of Jane Tewson? You said you you met her about a year ago and and you've been pretty taken by the the way that she runs her organisation. Jane's unbelievable. She's an absolute powerhouse. She's, um, She's thoughtful. She's unafraid. She just makes everybody feel like a somebody. She makes everybody feel important. And she lets other people take the glory. She's eager. You know, she's humble. She's curious. She's got all those fantastic... And she's just kind. I don't think there's a nasty bone in Jane's body. She sees a flame in somebody and then she just keeps at it and she keeps kindling the fire. You've been a great student of hers, Sarah, and congratulations on all, all of your good works. And I know that they will continue well into the future and thanks so much for what you've done for people during this terrible time and it's been a pleasure to talk to you today my pleasure seals thanks that's it for this igniting change podcast if you've enjoyed this episode please be sure to press subscribe to ensure you don't miss future episodes thanks for listening and remember see the person not the label